Thank you, Treb. Y'all need to be in prayer for Treb and Meredith. We're delighted to see Meredith here. They've not been doing too well this week. And uh, in light of what I'm going to be preaching on, I sometimes wonder where God is at work and where Satan is at work. But this morning, we are going to continue in this series on what I believe. And it's an opportunity for us to ask that question about issues in the Bible. What do I believe? We need to know. We need to be able to answer these questions for ourselves. And we need to be able to answer these questions when the people around us ask these important questions. What do you believe about the basic issues of theology, about the Christian life? And uh, so this morning, Trev has asked me to, to speak on spiritual warfare and the reality of the evil one. When I think about this reality of the evil one, and I think about the, uh, the, the way that our culture is absorbed with sports and with contests of any kind, you know, it's sort of amazing when you think about what is the significance of the spiritual war between God and Satan. And then you look at the way that we give so much emphasis to sports in our culture. I was amazed in the February issue of Christianity Today. The cover article is Fanatics, How Christians Have Succumbed to the Culture of Sports. And in this article, it tells about the Reese family who purchased a $300,000 mobile home exclusively so they could go and attend the University of Alabama football games. And then for all of you young ladies, you'd be interesting to know that they actually, uh, it tells the story, they actually missed their daughter's wedding because it fell on the day of the Alabama-Tennessee football game. And the excuse was they actually made the reception after the game and they said they'd asked their daughter if she could have scheduled the wedding sometimes other than on the big game. You know, folks, we've got some problems in our Christian culture and in the world. Whatever your sport is, there's a big game. Is it the Super Bowl, the BCS Conference, is it the Final Four, in my case, or the Masters, or whatever it is, you and I are absorbed in a culture that is completely given over to sports. And think about that in light of what is really real and what is significant in our life. There's a contest that is going on in our world today that far exceeds the significance of the Super Bowl game. It far exceeds any particular sporting event. For it's a contest that has eternal, ultimate consequences And yet most of us aren't even aware of the existence of this contest. It gets very little media coverage. To talk about this contest is to open yourself up to scorn and to ridicule. And yet, friends, it is the biggest game in town. And we better become aware of it because it's not a spectator sport as most of these others are. You and I are participants in this game, and it's a game of life and death. I call it the War with the Red Dragon. Now, you may think that's a video game for your kids, but it's not. And let me tell you what it is. Let me introduce you to the game and to the players in the game and let you see for yourself what's at stake. I invite you to open your Bibles Turn with me to Revelation 12. 
It's there in the bulletin, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. Let me introduce you to the game and to the players and let you see for yourself what is really at stake. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, to a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snapped up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the desert, to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. And then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to take the woman and to sweep her away from the, with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now here in this passage, we read about a situation that is real. It's not fantasy. This that we're reading about is not make-believe. For this passage is a brief description. You can say it's a summary of the entire Bible. For at one level, the entire Bible is a record of the spiritual warfare between Satan and God and how that war affects humankind. Now, according to our spiritual passage, 
scripture passage, this war originally broke out in heaven. When Satan had rebelled against God, but now significant parts of the war take place on earth. Look at the characters. The woman who gives birth to the son is Israel, the chosen people of God. The child is Jesus Christ. The red dragon is a symbol of Satan, of the devil, who tries to destroy the child But he fails to do so, and then Jesus is taken up to be with God. And all this does is it intensifies the war between Satan and God. And as a result, Satan is defeated, and he and his angels are no longer allowed to stay in heaven. We read in verse 9, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, according to verses 10 and 12, this is a good thing for those who are in heaven. For God's salvation has come. Jesus Christ has demonstrated his power and authority. And Satan has been thrown out of God's presence. But it says, Rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth. In the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. And he is now filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Satan has been defeated, but he has not yet been thrown into the lake of fire. He is a fatally wounded dragon who is now directing all of his anger, his fierce anger, at the woman and at the rest of her children. And since Satan's activities must now be confined to the earth, he strikes out with all the venom that's left within him at the children of this woman, at the followers of Jesus Christ. He can no longer attack God directly, so he does the next best thing in that he attacks the followers of Christ. What I'm concerned about is that many of us are going on with our lives completely oblivious to the spiritual war that is going on all around us, in which you and I are participants. I remember hearing a sermon illustration once about a frog that was placed in a pot on a stove. And at first, the pot was a nice place to be. He had fun. He swam around in the pot until gradually the heat was turned on and ever so slightly the water got warmer and warmer. But the frog just continued to swim and enjoy himself until the water reached the boiling point, at which time he died. If at any time, while the water was warming up, the frog had become aware of the danger, he could have jumped out of the pot and fled to safety. But he never did. And I believe that many Christians today are in that same danger as the frog. They are totally unaware that Satan is real, that he is out there as our enemy, waging war against us. My concern, again, is that many of us are living as if this war does not exist. We're living on the front lines of a battlefield, but acting as if the war is not going on. And this is highly dangerous. There's a spiritual war taking place in Oklahoma City. And you and I are participants in that war. 
We're directly involved in it. And if we continue to live as if it doesn't exist, it's not only dangerous for us as individuals, but it's dangerous for the church itself. It makes us vulnerable to Satan's attacks, and it makes it impossible for the church to make its difference for the kingdom of God. There's a song we used to sing when I was a child in church. We don't sing it anymore. Any of you remember it? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus, going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banner go. I wonder, I wonder, if we were to sing that song this morning, what would your reaction be? What would be going on within you? Would you see this song as relevant to you? Would some of you see yourself as a soldier for Jesus, actively engaged in war on the front lines? Or would some of you see yourselves as on active duty, but you're still in training? You're just preparing for the war, but you don't feel that you're prepared for it at this point. Or would you see yourself maybe in the reserves? And you know, the reserves, at least they used to only go on active duty a week or two a year. Oh, really, where I think many of you would be is that you would think that song is irrelevant. And you might even feel uncomfortable singing it about being a soldier and going to war. Christians aren't supposed to do things like that, you might say. And yet, this description of Satan as a real enemy, waging war with those who are faithful to God, is a consistent theme throughout the entire Bible. Go back into the Old Testament. Read the book of Job. The book of Job is about Satan and his attack on Job. If you turn to the New Testament, you will realize that one of the central issues in the Gospels is the conflict between Jesus and Satan. It begins with the temptation in the wilderness. And then it continues with all of those encounters that Jesus had with demons throughout his ministry. And it concludes with Satan's role in the portrayal of Jesus by Judas. But not only did Jesus personally encounter Satan, but he warns his followers, he warns us of our future conflict with Satan. Take the Lord's Prayer, for example. Here, Jesus condenses prayer down to its basic elements, its most essential elements. And one of those basic petitions that we're to make to God is that He will lead us not in temptation, but will deliver us from what? No. From the evil one. Look in Matthew 5 and look what the Bible says. It doesn't say deliver us from evil in a generic sense. It says deliver us from the evil one. And then three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to Satan directly as the ruler of this world. Jesus knew all too well that Satan is real. He has real power that can be released on earth. In, in Jesus' prayer for his disciples in John 17, we refer to this as his high priestly prayer. This is what he prays to God the Father. I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. What Jesus is trying to convey to you and I is that the world in which we live is a hostile environment ruled by Satan. Now, the world that Jesus is referring to is not the planet Earth on which we live, but the world as it's seen in a sense of organized systems of the world, the political, the economic, the social systems of the world, the religious philosophies of the world, all of which are opposed to God. All of this is to say that as those who belong to God, we no longer belong to the world. And and that's why throughout the Bible, as Christians, we're referred to as aliens, as exiles. I don't know if any of you remember that old TV movie called ALF. You know, ALF was an acronym for alien life form. And I don't think this is very flattering, but as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are all ALFs. We're aliens. We're exiles. We, you see, as, as, as Christians, we've been born again. We've been born from above, and we are now citizens of the kingdom of God. And that means we're aliens and exiles living here on earth until Christ returns to earth and when he will finally completely establish his kingdom here on earth. Remember this. Jesus said of his disciples and of us, the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. So friends, when you wake up tomorrow morning and you turn on the TV or the computer when you go to school or when you go to work, you are not going into a neutral environment. You are entering Satan's world and you had better be prepared for it. If you go into the world without recognizing it as Satan's domain, you may well be overpowered by it. The world is run by people and by policies set by people who are dominated by their sinful nature and controlled by Satan. Now listen to me carefully. I am not saying that we are not to be involved in the corporate business world or in politics or in media or any other sphere of worldly involvement. I'm simply saying that we need to know that there is a world system controlling each of these spheres and it's dominated by Satan and it's seeking to draw us away from God. We are not to withdraw from this world, but we must see it as our enemy, not as neutral, not as our friend. As we've said many times, we're to be of the world, we're to be in the world, but not of it. Now, why am I saying all of this? I'm saying this because I feel a heavy responsibility to awaken us to the reality of our real enemy and to identify Satan as a real spiritual being who is alive and well on planet Earth 
and seeking to overthrow the purposes of God. Now, let's look at Satan's tactics. They're threefold. First of all, he wants to keep individuals from seeing the truth and from coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of Christ. See, Satan is opposing God and trying to keep as many as he can in spiritual darkness. Have you ever wondered why it's so hard for you to share your faith, to tell others about Jesus, when it's so easy to talk about anything else with unbelievers? The reason is because sharing your faith is spiritual warfare. And Satan will do all that he can to keep us from telling others about Jesus. Successful evangelism involves overcoming Satan as he tries to keep other people from seeing the truth about Jesus. Secondly, Satan wants to render every believer ineffective in their own personal Christian life. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to live your life the way he did, to love people the way that he did, to be able to forgive others, to pray like he did? I do. What is it that holds me back? What keeps me from being the person that I want to be? I think to a significant extent, it's Satan. In the book of Ephesians, the entire book, Paul challenges us to live a life worthy of those who are followers of Jesus. And he starts out challenging us to be morally pure, to walk in love, to love our husbands, our wives, to be obedient children. And after four or five chapters of challenging us to grow into maturity, he gives us the most detailed account of spiritual warfare, personal spiritual warfare in the Bible. This is what he says in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, our struggle is not against other people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You want to know one of the reasons we're not growing in our faith as we should? It's because spiritual growth is a battle with Satan. And we are seeking to fight that battle in our own strength and not using the Lord's strength. We act as if spiritual growth was simply a battle with our own sinful nature. But it's more than that. It's also against the spiritual forces of evil. Now, the third tactic of Satan is to attack the church, to prevent the church from fulfilling its purposes. Think about this. Where Jesus prayed for the unity of the church, Satan works to bring divisiveness. Where Jesus tells us to love one another, to forgive one another, Satan fosters a critical spirit that prevents us from working together. Where church leaders are instructed to be above reproach, to be moral examples for others to follow, 
Satan causes our spiritual leaders to fall into immorality and to be very poor examples. It breaks my heart to see what is happening in so many of our churches today and the internal conflicts that they're going on within these churches. That alone should be cause enough for us to realize the seriousness of our war with Satan in the church. Now, my purpose this morning is to awaken us to the reality of Satan and to the fact that we are all participants in a great spiritual war with the red dragon. But here's the good news. We know now for certain who is going to win the biggest game in town. And you and I can be a part of that. We can be on the winning team this time. And you can bet your life on it. It's a sure thing. The book of Revelation, the entire book, was written for one purpose. And that is to let us know now, before the game is over, who's going to win. In Revelation 20, listen to what it says. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever, ever. Satan's doom is certain. He and his team will spend eternity in the lake of fire. But you know, it's interesting. The Bible does not focus on the final outcome of Satan. It gives it one verse. But it gives us the final last two chapters of Revelation to describe in great detail what is the ultimate destiny of those who are on the team with Jesus. And one of my all-time favorite passages, and Treb and I are both the same. I think every passage is our all-time favorite. But, but this is what I love. Listen to this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sea is always the symbol of destruction and of, of overwhelming fear. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then He said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Now, once Jesus has won that final victory over Satan, he is going to return to earth. And he is going to finish setting up his kingdom here on earth. And at that time, God will dwell with his people. Now, one final thought. Until Jesus returns and establishes that perfect kingdom, how can you and I be victorious in our own war with Satan. Well, when Jesus was in his own personal agony, there in the Garden of Gethsemane in his struggle with Satan, he took time to give Peter some advice. This is what he said to Peter. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Two words. Watch 
and pray. Watch. Be alert. Know your enemy. Know how Satan works and the tactics he uses to gain the upper hand in our lives. If we are going to prevent Satan from influencing our lives, then we need to become knowledgeable about his methods of operation. The best place I know is to refer you to C.S. Lewis's book, uh, Screw Tape Letters. It is the best book. It describes the subtle, crafty, deceitful ways that Satan tries to influence us. We need to be aware of our enemy. And then Jesus says, pray. Pray to him. Ask him for his power and for his strength to help us in our conflict with Satan. We are never to face Satan alone. We need to recognize when and where our enemy is seeking to attack us so that we can pray. We have this promise. Jesus says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus Christ is in every believer. He has defeated Satan. He is present with us to enable us to win the biggest game, the greatest game in the world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray that somehow you would take these words of Scripture, implant them upon our hearts, that we know not only that there is a struggle, but that we can be victorious in the struggle, that we can be able to overcome the power of Satan as he seeks to draw us away from you. But may we stand firm and may we know with certainty that our Savior has defeated the red dragon and he will help us defeat him in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.